Hey, everybody. Thanks for subscribing to the Front Row Knowles podcast. Hope you're tuning in to listen on Real Talk Tallahassee 93.3 if you're in Tallahassee on a weekly basis, Wednesdays at noon. Also want to thank Seminole Boosters. Reminder, uh, if you're not already a member, jump on board to help make a great brand even greater. And don't forget, there are tickets available for Florida State's games this season. Just go to Seminoles.com backslash tickets to grab yours. That said, enjoy this week's Front Row Knowles. Hello, everybody. Tom Block, Keith Jones, back with with you. This is Front Row Knowles. And, Keith, I got a good suggestion from a good friend of mine uh, who you've met over the year. Uh, Janelle's husband, John, suggests that instead of recapping the football game, perhaps we should just pick other topics like favorite restaurants, favorite football road trips, maybe musical choices. Anything you'd like to discuss other than Florida State football at this moment? Well, I'm going to go with Angelo's, and I ate there Friday night, or excuse me, Thursday night. It was very, very good. Um, probably my favorite road trip was not a football trip. It was a basketball trip to Oxford, Mississippi with Mr. Deckerhoff. And, uh, other than that, I got nothing. Well, that's a start. And that killed a minute of the, of the post game and the postmortem. So I do appreciate that. We could talk about the time that, uh, after one particular football game, Keith, you and I were so very hungry and there were, there were no food options. And so we just continued to raise the, uh, the bidding from the pizza guy that was in the elevator with us until he ended up giving us whoever's pizza that was. And those folks are probably still irritated about that. You hopefully and I, on the, the other statue, hand, ate well. Hopefully the statue of limitations is up. Yeah, we did do that. That was in Orlando, as I recall. Yeah, I don't know. I think it was pepperoni. Anyway, Keith, so prolonging the inevitable no longer, where would you like to start here? Well, uh, second week in a row of big disappointment. And uh, Coach Norvell, that was the theme of his comments to the writers after the game, just disappointed. I mean, it's, this is the second consecutive week when the team has come out flat uh, by all accounts. Practice was good during the week, not anything different than the week leading up to Notre Dame. Uh, but it just didn't translate to performance. The only thing that was a little different and again, Coach Norvell addressed this with the media after the game is, uh, you know, apparently the game plan going in was to play McKenzie and to play uh, Travis on alternating series for the first, you know, three, four, five, six, whatever it was. So um, I, I don't know what that means relative to the fact that, that McKenzie was named the starter early, but yet they went into the ball game with this rotation schedule, apparently. Um, either way, uh, it, it didn't work. I mean, when you, when you turn the ball over six times, you're not going to win very many ball games, uh, especially uh, against a team like, uh, like the Demon Deacons, which, you know, is not going to do much to hurt themselves. And that said, I didn't even feel like the turnovers were the issue, save for the oh. one – at the, at the one yard line, to me, the first half was about a common theme that we've seen for years, and that is playing poor situationally. But more specifically, you have them off the field and you commit a dumb penalty that extends the drive. It happened on a roughing the punter call. It happened on a personal foul when the guy was out of bounds and there might have been some acting involved. But you just didn't have to make that play. He was going out of bounds for a two-yard gain on third and 15. There was a defensive holding. 
those all extended drives, and that's how you got in the halftime deficit. Then you look at the third quarter. You go – now, it wasn't the first drive, but the second and third time you had the ball in the third quarter, you, you go the length of the field, and then you get to second and two, third and two, fourth and two in the red zone and can't convert. And then you get to the one-yard line and get a bad snap and fumble the ball, and guys are trying to pick it up instead of fall on it. And So that's not even the turnovers, Keith, but it's a case for how you could have been right in that football game as a one-score game. Well, it is the, the, the one is a turnover, obviously, the fumble. But uh, you could have been in the game, could have, would have, should have. But this is a familiar refrain that we've said for, for the better part of four years now. And maybe the disappointing part of it is it's the same refrain. I mean, it's not new and creative ways to – throw a ball game it's the same old ways of throwing the ball game now everybody if the glass is uh, half full everybody will point to not converting on the fourth down inside the five yard line McKenzie fumbling the ball into the end zone for a touchback you know that's two scores right there uh, it could have been a little different for at least complexion of the ball game uh, had you been successful uh, on one or both of those but it was evident from the start that this was a game that Florida State, you know, I hate to use the phrase have their heads in because, again, by all accounts, practices were good and, and those types of things. But when it came time to perform, um, it was just disappointing. Uh, I can't I, – I realize that's not creative and not uh, anything new, but it's a, it's a bad, bad continuing theme, unfortunately. Yeah, and what I heard is was mixed on practice. I heard it wasn't very good the start of the week, but I don't know that you've ever been able to, to draw a, a direct correlation from that. There's, there's plenty of times historically when FSU has practiced bad and played great, and there's plenty of times when they've practiced great and played bad. So I don't, I don't read too much into that part. I know the coaches have worked, especially this week, they had to work really hard to try and get them past what happened a week ago. But I think you're right. To me, and I know what people are calling for out there already three games in, those who are in favor of change, we've seen change. We've, we've seen multiple defensive coordinators that the fan base has not been happy with for going back to Harlan Barnett, to Charles Kelly. The fan base didn't even like Mark Stoops because he was not aggressive enough, even though he improved the defensive ranking from like 100 to – maybe fourth this final year. I, I think the issue, and I don't know, this, this is multiple coaching staffs, a lot of coaches who've not been able to figure this out. In key moments, this team, or, or maybe not collectively, but there are players, shrivel up is maybe too big a word, but the moment is too big for them. And either they try too hard and they make a mistake, they freeze up, I don't know what the terminology is. This, this is not new, but it, it's, it's the same thing. You get to a, a possession snap is a critical snap in a football game, and you just can't make those mistakes that continue to be made for years now. And so I don't, I don't know how you snap out of it. I, I guess another way to put it, Keith, is they, they don't know how to win because they haven't won. And until you win, I don't know how you learn how to win. So it's, it's like the chicken and the egg argument. And that's been a refrain that you have correctly, you know, been marching to for, as you say, four or five years. The other buzzword in today's environment is the culture. Um, you know, I, I am a very bad golfer. And if I play with a golfer that's good, 
by about the third or fourth <laughs> hole, I make that good golfer bad. You know, it, it's just the way my golf game is. I mean, I look at I look at Mackenzie Milton, who was not prone to making mistakes, did not put the ball on the ground, did not throw very many interceptions when he was at UCF, and and then he comes to Florida State and and he starts making those mistakes. Um, that's baffling. And unfortunately, as you have pointed out, and I agree, it has been the theme. It's been the, it's been the status quo for so long. You know, I, I don't know how you break out of that. That's what is so puzzling. And back to my bu- buzzword, so disappointing about this squad. Yeah, let's talk about the quarterbacks, Keith. And you and I have done this before. Matter of fact, I don't even remember what year it's been, but there's been so many years in a row where Florida State hasn't had a clear-cut number one quarterback that at one point we had Wally Woodham on one of our shows because you played with Wally and Jimmy when there was a two-quarterback system that worked. But it, it, it's a different setup than what you have with, with Milton and, and Travis. So why don't you just kind of explain – for those who don't know, take us back to the late 70s and how that two-headed quarterback system worked for FSU. Well, it worked for three reasons. Number one, Jimmy and Wally had played together uh, at Leon High School, so it wasn't new for them to, to be around each other. Number two, they got along well. Uh, if you compare that to what's going on to Florida State now, um, you know, Travis and McKenzie have not known each other very long. They did not play together in high school, and, and this is the first year they've been together. And by all accounts, they do get along well. So you can, you can check one of those boxes and maybe go not applicable in the other one. But the third thing is that both Jimmy and Wally were passers. And Jimmy was called the rifleman, and Wally was called the, the dink and dunk guy. But they were both passers. They were not one a running quarterback and the other one a passing quarterback. And there's where the difference is. Uh, it, they, the announcers even said, Mark Jones on the, on the telecast said in RG3 that in talking with the Wake Forest defensive coordinator, there were two separate game plans in place for the Demon Deacons. One was applicable to McKenzie and the other one was applicable to Travis. Well, if your defensive coordinator has two different game plans, that means your offense has two different game plans. So when Travis is in there, the other 10 are doing it this way. And when McKenzie is in there, the other 10 on Florida State side are doing it a different way. That's what makes this one very difficult, in my opinion. So then let's move it forward, because even in the preseason, not just us, everybody who covers Florida State, if they were asked about the quarterback, would say things to the tune of, well, they're going to need both quarterbacks. It's going to take both quarterbacks. And I don't know if people thought it was going to be a rotation with a clear-cut number one, but that with Travis, who gets dinged fairly frequently, and McKenzie coming off a bad knee, it just seems that even if one guy goes five straight games, they're going to need the other guy. I, I feel like most have expected to see both. I don't know what the best way to do it is, and if it makes more sense to just have one. I'll stop there. What do you what do you think about that? Do they need to have just one? They need to have just one. But the problem is exactly what you've pointed out, particularly with um, with Travis. He is going to get nicked up and dinged up during the ball game. There's going to be times when he has to come off the field, and and Milton has to be ready to go in immediately. Um, 
I just think it's better to have one, whichever one it is, pick one and go with it. But the danger with picking Travis is that, you know, Milton's got to be ready to go at any given time because once, twice, three times a ball game, something's going to happen. I did not understand all of the backdrop where the head official made um, uh, Travis go out of the ball game for that one what one time. I, I know he was hurting a little bit, but normally, you know, I just haven't seen that happen very often. And I know appropriately Coach Norvell was upset about it, but. I think you just you pick one and you go with it and you understand that you got to have the other one ready. I just don't like this, you know, flip-flopping back and forth. Nobody gets into a rhythm. Nobody gets into a feel for the game. You stand over there on the sidelines for extended periods of time. You know, you're, you mentally check out, unfortunately. I, I just don't like it. Now, having said all that, they may not have a choice. So it's just like the offensive line. They're having to, to do with what they've got. And, uh, you know, that's just sometimes the hand you're dealt. I, I'm sure the quarterbacks don't like it. I don't know which is the right answer there. I do know that if they pick one and stick with him and the result is the same as what it's been so far this year, then they'll be vilified because they made the wrong decision. When – if we go – but you just mentioned the offensive line, Keith. Nobody wants to ever – really have a, an in-depth conversation about the offensive line. We've known it's not been very good. We've known that, honestly, probably not the, the number one guy you didn't want to lose, but maybe the number two guy that you didn't want to lose this year was your starting center. And he's only played a one half of football against Notre Dame. And even that, he wasn't nearly 100%. He just tried to give it a go. And it didn't work out well. And they've been playing baby on Johnson since then. And then you lose. Baby on went went down during this game at one point, did he not? He did just for one series. And just as as last week when a tackle went out and Florida State had to move three guys around to to make up for one guy going out, same thing happened when Baby on went out because you're now you're moving a tackle to center. You're bringing Zane Herring in to play. You're moving. It it just speaks to the fact there's no quality depth there at all. It's a very thin position to begin with. Even the starters are not they're, – they're not going to stack up with the best offensive line in the country, and it's a place you couldn't afford to get hurt, and Florida State got hurt. And that is part of the reason that the offense is struggling. We can talk about play calls and rotations and, and personnel at the skill positions, but the personnel at the offensive line is a big part of the, part of the issue for, for Mike Norvell and Kenny Dillingham and company. You know, it's the beginning of a good offense versus a bad offense. It all starts up front. We've said that for years. Um, And you're not going to fix that during the season per se. Um, That's a recruiting and a development process that's going to take a little while, unfortunately. I guess if we want to turn positive, um, you know, though the defense gave up quite a bit of yardage and some points in the first half, um, they were they made some halftime adjustments. Were a little better on the defensive side in the second, um, so the, that that was at least encouraging. But at no time did the defense, you know, assert themselves. Uh, they did have that early turnover that unfortunately Florida State gave right back to the Demon Deacons. But there's issues on that side of the ball as well. It's just we happen to be focusing on the quarterbacks because they're they're the ones that get all the spotlight. They get the all the honor when they do well and all the blame when they don't. 
Exactly right. So I, I, I don't know where they'll land on the quarterback. I mean, most of these are things that people have known. The offensive line uh, is not where it needs to be. The receivers are not special. I mean, the interception Milton threw, I forget exactly when it was in the second half, but that was basically a jump ball. Uh, there are there are receivers who would win that battle and not get out, out fought by the defensive back for that ball. Florida State hasn't had one of those in a long, long time. Um, they're not special at tight end. I mean, running back is probably the best segment. I, I would say this, I, as much as I have liked Corbin in the time that he's been here, I actually think Treshawn might be their best back right now. He, he runs hard for a, for a former walk-on to have earned a scholarship and do what he does. Uh, it's impressive, but if that's what you bring in, it be, it just becomes easier for the team to, to stop what you're doing. I mean, it's easy for us to say you've got to run two out of three snaps, right? But the defense knows that too, and they can put enough guys in the box that that's not going to work against that offensive line. So you have to have some sort of balance in there. Well, and the other thing is if you play like you have been and you're always playing from behind, then whether Coach Dillingham or Coach Norvell would admit it, it affects your play calling. You, you become less patient uh, and you, you're not as likely to stay with the running game when you're looking up there and you're down by 14 or you're down by 21. It creates a sense of urgency that doesn't get answered by keeping the ball on the ground. So I understand all of that. It's, it's just a, you know, it's a complicated thing. There is no easy answer. If there was, I assure you, Coach Norvell and his staff would have figured it out. These are not, these are not, you know, Folks have been talking about, do we need some staffing changes or some reassignments? You know, we don't know. Uh, Because unless and until we get some kids playing as they should, I'm not sure you can make even an evaluation of of the strength of the segment coaches, if that makes any sense. Well, that goes back to the question that we already posed, Keith. It's not as if this staff, the previous staff, no staff is teaching guys on a third and 15 – when the guy gets two yards to go ahead and potentially make a late hit out of bounds. You know what I mean? Like, so does that mean that they're not emphasizing that enough in practice? Are they overemphasizing it in the players? It's in the player's head or do the players need to get to a point where they just relax and play. Jimbo used to word, he he would use the word clutter, you know, clear the clutter out. Can, Can they just play free? And I feel like, there's so much going on. Honestly, a lot of it, I think, is social media, too. It's the era we live in, and uh, everybody's got an opinion, and the, and the players are soaking up a lot of them, uh, if, not, if not trying to soak up all of them. I, I feel like they just that, – that's where their mind is instead of potentially where it should be at times. I, I don't know how to explain it. Nor do I, but I think that is a component of it, uh, and, and that goes to, you know, kids in general. I mean, I'm – I'm two generations now removed um, given my age and the time that I've been around. And I look at some of the things that these guys do and I just don't understand it. It's not things that we even thought about doing 40 years ago. I know the game has changed quite a bit, but there's certain fundamentals and certain things about just being a football player that were true 80 years ago, 40 years ago and are true today. And somehow that has has been lost or certainly not embraced with today's with today's kids, and so um, it it's a combination of a bunch of things. We're we're rambling on here and not really 
identifying anything in particular, but that's how complicated the, the process is. Yeah, and, and I know the last couple of weeks in particular, when you when you lose like Florida State's law, especially last week, you, you get into to second guessing every single play call. And that's a very slippery slope when when you when you go down that road because a fan's favorite everybody's favorite play is the touchdown play, for lack of a better call the touchdown play. And when a play doesn't work and gets blown up, it's easy to say, well, why in the world did you call that play? And there's a lot of reasons they might have called that play. And one of them was not because they expected it to get blown up for a loss of five yards. So I, I, I know that's the micro and we tend to stay macro, but the, but there is a reason for it. You know, that's not to say that you can't second guess some of the calls. But, for example, when McKenzie fumbles at the goal line and I haven't looked at the replay, perhaps you've seen it, uh, but it, it appeared to be a poor snap. So is that a bad call or is that bad execution? And if it's bad execution, I mean, the snaps have been a problem for Babyon for a while. The coaches know that. They don't have a better option there as your second string center. Otherwise, that option would be snapping the ball in that situation, don't you think? Agreed. And and it sounds uh, somewhat silly, but if that snap is low or it's high or it's to the right or to the left, it throws the playoff. You know, you can fault. Coach Dillingham for the call because it appeared to be a straight quarterback keep uh, from that standpoint. But if you don't get it started correctly, then all kinds of different things can happen. And unfortunately, in that one, it was him, you know, losing the ball. All of that goes together. It's a it's a complicated series of events, and every step along the way has to be executed correctly, or as you say, in the term we like to use, you know, the play just blows up, whether you've done it or your opponent's done it. If it doesn't start right, it's probably not going to end correct. Keith, one of the things that's hard to see when Florida State plays Wake Forest and then reflect on the fact that it's been this way for several years now is when Wake has better skill guys at the receiver position than Florida State does. I mean, they got a 6'5 kid that's looking all world against FSU and, and they've had two years ago, they had, uh, a, 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 I think it was Surratt. Uh, Correct. They had, they had Dorch a few years ago. I mean, there's not anybody on Florida State's receiving core that the other team is starting their defensive meetings by saying, we've absolutely positively got to account for this guy because he's a difference. But they don't, they don't have it. And how do, you, how do you recruit those types of guys? How do you get them to Tallahassee? when you're continuing to lose ball games and not perform well, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And back to how we began this conversation, um, you know, the chicken or the egg, um, you know, it all goes hand in hand. And, and I agree with you. I think the biggest thing this team needs right now is just some success. You know, <coughs> pardon me, just a win something to make them feel good about themselves, something to take the pressure off, something to relieve uh, the pressure that is obviously building and building and building and, and will continue to um, uh, show itself when you, when you press. And, and it's just it's a vicious cycle that's got to get broken quickly uh, or, or it will continue to go downhill quickly. Well, it hasn't been broken quickly because this cycle started a few years ago. Yep, that, you're right. That's part of 
that's part of the thing about the Notre Dame game, which was just two weeks ago, by the way, right? Yep. Part of the reason why everybody was so excited because I, I, I have felt exactly like what you're saying. At some point, Florida State has to get be the beneficiary of a benevolent bounce, a, 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 a call that goes their way. In the Notre Dame game, I mean, candidly, there was a roughing the punter there that somehow they called running into the punter. That was a call that went FSU's way. Milton makes some throws coming in cold when Travis leaves, starts with a 22-yard completion, and it, it finally felt like, okay, Florida State's going to make some plays at winning time and maybe get over that hump, but they didn't. Last week was last week, and, and every week I, – I don't know what the perfect analogy is, Keith. It might I've, I've been trying to come up with it. It's uh, Maybe it's like when you're trying to lose weight. You know, you're trying to lose 20 pounds, and the first, the first 10 or 15 pounds come off pretty easy. And, and then those last five, you, you spend forever trying to get them off, right? And so at some point, you're not working quite as hard to lose those last five pounds because you just feel like you can't get there. And, and I feel like that's kind of what's happening with the team. They're bought in. They believe. They're working hard. And then they don't get the result. And so now they're still bought in. But, but maybe the foot's off the gas pedal just a little bit the next week. It's subconscious. They're not trying to do it. And then they don't get the result again. And now maybe they're just not trying quite as hard or they, they, they does that make sense? What I'm saying? It just, it, it feeds on itself. It's all about the culture and, you know, uh, you're exactly right. Human nature is human nature, but the culture helps form that human nature. And whether it's conscious, subconscious, or somewhere in between uh, success breeds success uh, feeling good about your performance and therefore feeling good about the outcome is a motivator. Uh, I know, you know, we as fans can sit there and look and say, look, you lost three in a row. If, you know, you need to go back out to practice, redouble your efforts. And all. I mean, you can do all that, but that doesn't help with the mental aspect of it. And I'm just convinced I could be wrong, could be way wrong, but I'm just convinced. I mean, it was 15 days ago, um, 14 days ago, that this team played very well against Notre Dame, and now they're not playing very well. It's the same kids. It's the same system. It's the same coaches. What changed? Above the shoulders. And that's been a mystery for coaches, particularly as it relates to young people, for years and years and decades and decades. But something's got to give here. And if I knew the answer, obviously I'd be giving it to them, and uh, all of a sudden I'd be a hero. It just doesn't work that way. Keith, what do you see from Florida State's DBs? I see kids that don't know how to finish a play. They don't know how to uh, complete a play. I mean, it goes all the way back to tackling, Tommy. These kids would rather hit you than tackle you. You very rarely see any of the DBs wrap up. They cut legs or they throw their bodies at people. The ball goes up in the air. They don't have any ball skills. They don't have the desire that that ball is mine and it doesn't belong to anybody but me. And 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 it's uh, that part's mental. I've heard I've heard Coach Stan Jones say over and over again on Leonard Hamilton's staff that rebounding a basketball is attitude. Yeah, you've got to be in the right place, and it helps if you're six ten you know, versus six, one, but the bottom line is 51% or more of rebounding is attitude and playing defensive back 51% or more of it is I will wrap up and that ball is mine when it's in the air. 
and I hate to be overly simplistic, but you know, I'm not the brightest guy in the world and I could do it at least at the level I was doing it at the time I was doing it. It can be done if I can do it, man, I wish these kids would, would understand that and buy into that and that become the mindset. What have we missed here, Keith? We haven't done a performance of the game. Well, I was struggling. I was struggling how to come up with that. I think, I think I've done okay, but we're going to change, not change gears. That's not the right way to say it, but we do have a couple of things for folks that are very, been very good to front row Knowles, uh, specifically Hobson Chevrolet and prime Meridian bank. So we'll go with the Hobson Chevrolet Buick defender of the game. And I'm going to go with Amari Gaynor. Uh, Amari had a really nice game, uh, game from the standpoint, eight tackles, one sack, two and a half tackles for loss. We've been looking to Amari. We've been wanting Amari as a legacy player to step up his game. I thought he had a really good game against Wake Forest. So he is our Hobson Chevrolet Buick defensive performer of the game. Buy your next car the Hobson way. Travel up to Cairo or visit HobsonChevrolet.com. See the folks up there for your next vehicle. As regards our time, uh, Prime Meridian Bank performance of the game, I'm going to go with Ontario Wilson. He had five receptions for 91 yards, also had that one kickoff return for 27 yards, not the least of which was that 65-yard touchdown reception, uh, which was a thing of beauty. So our Ontario Wilson is our Prime Meridian Bank performance of the game. Speaking of performance, Prime Meridian Bank was named Best Bank by the readers of Tallahassee Magazine. Want to bank where they greet you by name, smiling faces that offer you coffee and cookie when you walk in the door? Well, that's what I call great performance. Try my bank, Prime Meridian Bank. Member FDIC offices in Tallahassee, Crawfordville, and Lakeland. You can visit them on the web at trymybank.com. Keith Jones, ladies and gentlemen, a professional. Very nice job, KJ. I do what I can, brother. I do what I can. One thing we didn't mention, this is not why Florida State lost, but I do think it's why you, you referenced earlier that it felt like the defense played a little bit better as the game went on. It's, it's, maybe it's like we used to talk about the option, you know, whether it's Georgia Tech or the old, the old wishbone or whatever. Uh, it t- it's hard to replicate in practice, so it takes a few series to you figure it out. What Wake does with their handoffs in that mesh point and just – it's like counting two Mississippi in the backfield before the running back moves and he just finds it, it is it looks like a rugby scrum and then all of a sudden a guy scores free and he doesn't get a big gain but you look up and it was a six-yard gain and now they're second and four it just seems really unconventional but it's effective for Wake and FSU got a little bit better at it after a few drives uh, but but credit what they do because it works. The other thing they do is that hurry-up tempo. Uh, I think Wake had 52 plays in the first half, and Florida State had 24, plus or minus. And Wake's desire is to run 90 plays in the ball game. And I'm trying to look very quickly here at the, uh, at the stats. Um, I think they ran 86 or 87 plays, and certainly they dominated time of performance. It was about 19 minutes uh, differential. Uh, I mean, almost 40 minutes of time of possession for Wake Forest. So when you're when your opponent is running that number of plays and you're having that lesser amount of chances, um, it just amplifies. 
And I know Wake is the smallest school in, uh, in the Power Five. I know that Florida State has dominated Wake over the last 40 years. But this is a very good Wake team, and they're very serviceable. They don't make mistakes. There's a reason they're 3-0. and I know their first two opponents were FCS, but, I mean, they've been the five consecutive bowl games. None of our fans want to hear that. I understand and acknowledge that, but the reality is you've got to play well to beat the Wake Forest of the world, and when you don't play well, you will lose every time. It was 52 plays to 26 at the half. It was exactly double. And amazingly, Florida State actually averaged more yards per play in the first half and for the game. But this goes back to to two points that we've talked about, Keith. The offense not being able to have any kind of consistent success. When you have too many three and outs, the defense is out there forever. And also, the defense shooting itself in its foot three times two of them for sure in the first half, maybe all three when they had Wake off the field were it not for a penalty. And so if they end up getting off the field at that point, I mean, it might have been four or five plays. That might have been 15 plays over the course of those three times they let them stay on the field. No question. And and, and anyway, that's how you end up at halftime with the 20 minutes of time of possession for Wake and 10 for FSU. And it it was hot in the first half. I, I can tell you that. I mean, this is not unconventional. Every stadium... They know what they're doing. The visiting team stares right in the sun, and it just beats down on you. So it was, it was a warm day in Winston Salem. Uh, I, I, but I, I don't know. I, I don't know what else to throw in there about the second half, Keith. Because as much as we could argue that a, a play here or a play there, well, they did have those two nice drives, and it's it's a more interesting ball game. You you could argue the counterpoint that if Wake seriously felt threatened, that they wouldn't have taken the foot off the gas, and and they would have kept doing in the second half what they did in the first half. You know what I mean? So, yeah. If you're a numbers guy, here you go. The Wake ran 89 plays. Florida State ran 51. Wake averaged 5.4 yards per play. Florida State actually averaged 6.2 yards per play. But probably as big a number as anything other than the time of possession, Florida State was just one of six, one of six on third down conversions. Yeah, and that's the problem. And this is where it it goes back to the quarterback. This has been a problem all year. And if there's one place I felt like, well, okay, so third down conversions, if you're third and not manageable, nobody's going to convert at a high percentage. But, but Florida State this year, all, all three games, as I think about it, has had a key possession snap where it's like two yards to go. Uh, we had one last week against Jacksonville State. You don't give them the ball back at the end there. It was a third and one, and Florida State didn't get her, a third and two. Uh, we had it in the in, early in the third quarter, second and two, I think, third and two, fourth and two. They don't get it. That's an area that Florida State, I thought they would have some success. Now, I thought Jordan Travis would be a reason for it. Also, Corbin, who's who's been t- he's been a good tough yardage back, but they have not had any success in those scenarios this year. Limited success at best. Correct, correct. And um, you know, I, I don't know what to make of that. Um, there will be those that think it's play calling. Um, I'm just not convinced that that the the staff has not put together a proper game plan. I think those plays were, were plays that they've looked at and said that they can work uh, and they just don't execute them. Um, so I'm not willing to concede that, that, you know, anything's terribly wrong there other than 
execute the play that is called. And um, it's just, as we began this show, it's just disappointing, very disappointing. Because let, let's talk about a couple of the positives. I, I was very happy with the effort. I got no problem with the effort. Um, I, I think the attitude is one where they're continuing to fight. Um, but I, I go back to the comment we've beaten to death. They need some success. They need some good things to happen to make them feel good about themselves. And unless and until that does occur, um, you're looking at what's going to happen. Yeah, I don't know that there's anything else I can add to this right now, Keith. Trying to just think through. I'm not looking through any notes at this moment. Well, one of the things, one of the things, one of the things, again, I'll, I'll go back and use a basketball analogy because certainly Coach Hamilton and, and his staff and his program over the last years, few years especially, has had some success. You know, one of the things you do have to do in situations like this is put it behind you. You go in, you look at the tape, you correct your mistakes, you, you uh, compliment when you have done things right, and then you put that behind you. You cannot dwell on it. And, you know, whether the Jacksonville State, you know, whether Florida State lost twice to Jacksonville State once when they played them and then today because of how they played against Wake Forest, you cannot let that happen. So you study, you correct, and you move on. And I think uh, the good part about that is Florida State's got the opportunity to do that. And, um, you know, every week you start over. Every week you begin to climb all over. And if they can keep that part of their attitude and then keep our fingers crossed that some good things start happening, there are pieces and parts of this ball club that I really like. I, re- I still really like the staff. I think the, the, the scheme will work once it's executed. So I'm by no means ready to abandon ship in any way, shape, form, or fashion. That's why I say I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. And I do know that because it's from the shoulders up, it can change in a week. And uh, you can start building upon that if you do have some success. Keith, I'm going to call it here. I don't have anything else to add at this moment in time. This moment in time being at about 12.09 in the a.m. Past my bedtime. All right, we'll catch up again in the middle of the week. Uh, Until then, thanks for tuning in. He's Keith, I'm Tom. This is Front Row Knowles.